friends. Welcome back to Rewildology, the show all about conservation, travel, and rewilding the planet. I'm your host, Brooke Mitchell-Norman, conservation biologist and adventure traveler. Today, I'm bringing you a special episode. This Thursday, July 29th, is International Tiger Day, a holiday dedicated to raising awareness about tiger conservation. To celebrate and contribute the best way I know how, I am going to share with you today stories from my years of studying conservation biology, as well as my international travels seeing these big cats in the wild. I share the science that's being conducted to save tigers and empowering local communities that live with them. As you'll soon hear, living with dangerous predators is not easy, but together we can find a way to coexist. All right, everyone, on to today's show. The sun brought forth a symphony of bird life, gently waking us from our slumber. Today was going to be different. I could feel it. The previous expedition into the jungle gave us little more than a few peacock sightings and some deer strolling along riverbanks. But today, we were going to see the animal we traveled thousands of miles to catch a glimpse of in the wild. After breakfast, we loaded up in our safari truck and headed off to Bardia National Park, infamous for its diverse array of wildlife. The day was hot and humid. Smoke from countless wildfires burned our eyes. Sweat dripped down our backs as we quietly swept our binoculars from side to side, doing our best to will wildlife into our sights. The morning resulted in nothing more than dusty shirts and tracks that disappeared into the tall grass. But we were not swayed. We were in the Tarai, home to Asian elephants, greater one-horned rhinos, more bird species than you can possibly count, and the king of big cats. Stopping for lunch, we settled underneath the shade of a tree along a riverbank. It was blazing hot in the midday sun, and we knew we had a chance to spot what we were looking for cooling off in the clear, flowing water. We began to unpack our meals and settle down for a break from hours of searching. And then, there she was. A gorgeous tigress in her prime peered out from the brush and gracefully entered the water. We dropped everything in our hands and quietly rushed to the riverside for a better view. She watched us as she silently made her way across the river to the opposite bank. With one last look at us, she melted into the jungle. We sat in awe and elation, high-fiving each other and recounting everything that just occurred. Then, to our amazement, a massive male came into view, following the female with every intention of mating with her. We nearly lost our minds. He was more confident and less timid than the female and had no reservations to stay a while and soak in the cool river. After he was satisfied with his river session, he resumed his pursuit of the female and watched us as he stood and strolled to the opposite side of the riverbank. And just like that, he was gone, lost in the tall grass and twisting trees. Once we were certain no additional tigers were going to bless us with their presence, we returned to our tree and sat down to our now warm lunch. We didn't mind. Our dreams had just come true and we were high on life. No bush lunch had ever tasted so good. The day didn't end there. Three more tigers graced us with their presence, each encounter unique and unforgettable. At sundown, we made our way back to the lodge and celebrated with cold beers. 
these wildlife experiences were hands down some of the best in my life. But I quickly learned that it came at a cost. Living with tigers is not easy, which a Westerner like me didn't fully understand until I visited Bardia. Even with my years of experience in conservation and traveling to India where I visited multiple tiger reserves. So why should we save tigers? That's the topic of today's episode. In celebration of International Tiger Day on July 29th, I felt it was made perfect sense to dive deep into this question and share with you all what I've learned in my studies at international travels. So why should we save tigers? While this question may seem obvious, I think it is important to explore. Tigers are apex predators. Their presence ensures a healthy balance between predators, mesopredators, prey, vegetation, and soil stability. Thus, removing tigers can cause complete ecosystem collapse. Herbivore populations skyrocket without predators keeping their numbers in check, and vegetation quickly disappears under the pressure of increased grazing. The land erodes from the lack of plant systems holding soil in place and waterways fill with loose debris. Aside from the significant ecosystem value they hold, tigers are revered across the globe and play integral roles in several religions. In Hinduism, for example, the powerful and beloved goddess Durga is often depicted riding a tiger. Furthermore, tigers bring tourism dollars for communities that live alongside these big cats, giving them an alternative income that doesn't involve consumptive industries. And most importantly, tigers are insanely freaking cool. The original tiger, Panthera Zidansky, evolved 2.5 million years ago in Southeast Asia and was similar in stature to jaguars and leopards. When tigers' main prey, cervids, grew in size and range, the aging cat followed. The increase in prey size is hypothesized to be why tigers evolved their massive frames. These big cats are ambush specialists and the largest feline species. Male Amur tigers can weigh up to a staggering 660 pounds. Unlike your 10-pound domestic kitty, tigers love water and can be found cooling off in the day's heat in a pond or river. Tigers are solitary big cats and don't enjoy each other's company. A male tiger has a huge territory that overlaps multiple females' territories. Since tigers need lots of space to find enough prey, these cats are considered an umbrella species. Protecting tigers, therefore, protects all wildlife that coexists with them. So what are tigers' biggest threats? The most pressing threat varies based on specific tiger populations, but in general, wild tigers today face challenges with poaching for the legal wildlife trade, human-wildlife conflict, habitat loss and fragmentation, and a declining prey base. When it comes to the illegal wildlife trade, Tigers are highly prized commodities on the black market. Their bones are believed to have healing powers in some Asian cultures, and tiger skins are bought by people with more money than they know what to do with. To demonstrate the lucrativeness of the tiger part industry, in 2019, two men in China were arrested for smuggling nine tiger skins into the country from Myanmar. The tiger skins were valued at 4 million yuan, which is equivalent to around 619,000 US dollars. They also had illegal weapons, bullets, methamphetamine in the trunk, 
demonstrating how wildlife trade is commonly linked to other forms of crime. In addition to poaching, human-tiger conflict is a prominent threat to tiger survival. This issue is more difficult to solve because the causes of conflict are unique to specific regions. For example, in India, many native peoples have been forcibly displaced from their homes to make room for tiger reserves. While some communities were given resources to start new lives, not all people were given the same level of treatment. In Nepal, the loss of tourism during the COVID-19 pandemic, one of the country's most important industries, had devastating effects on local communities. The significant loss of income forced people to illegally visit national parks to collect natural resources, putting them in imminent danger. Multiple people died during our two-week stay from entering the jungle alone and coming into contact with a tiger. It was the most in-your-face conservation experience of my life. And while tigers are very revered in these cultures, some are killed in retaliation for killing multiple people. Next, wild tigers have lost over 95% of their historic range and number less than 4,000 individuals. The habitat they have left is fragmented, making dispersal pretty much impossible. The lack of movement halts gene flow, leading to inbreeding in smaller populations. As I'm sure you can imagine, inbreeding is bad for a species survival. After hearing all of this, you might be thinking to yourself, well, what about the huge number of privately bred tigers in the U.S.? Can they go back into the wild? Ugh, good old Tiger King put this issue on the world stage. I wish I could say yes, but unfortunately, no. Privately bred tigers and non-accredited facilities will never be released back to the wild, which I'll explain. Most private tiger breeders have no idea what lineage is in their cats. Why does this matter? Let's imagine you're a world-class horse breeder. You've diligently spent your entire career researching and purchasing the top horses with the best genetics. It is finally time to match your prized thoroughbred female with a stallion. The last thing you would ever do is allow your best female to breed with a donkey. The offspring's genetics would be far from advantageous and the foal would be considered useless by the horse breeding community. The same goes for tigers. No conservation biologist would release a captive bred tiger back into the wild to procreate with the local population, assuming it even survives long enough to breed. Who knows what genetic diseases are in that cat? With tiger numbers so low in the wild, one deadly disease could cause irreversible damage to the species. Get this, not one privately captive bred tiger has been successfully released into the wild. Additionally, when it comes to saving tigers, most private big cat facilities do not make any contributions to conservation efforts, monetarily or otherwise. Of course, the exception to this is AZA, which is the Association of Zoos and Aquariums Accredited Facilities. These organizations are the Rolls Royce of animal exhibition industry. Out of the 2,800 wildlife facilities registered with the USDA, less than 10% are AZA accredited. These organizations donate more than $230 million per year to field conservation efforts worldwide and directly support tiger conservation through the AZA Tiger Species Survival Plan. I used to work at the Columbus Zoo and Aquarium and the Dallas Zoo, both great organizations doing 
amazing work for wild populations. So what is being done then to protect tigers? Outside of the tremendous amount of research being conducted on all things tiger, some serious initiatives and projects have appeared in recent years that are moving the needle in the tiger's favor. First up is the Double Tiger Initiative, or TX2. If you listen to episode 23 with Jack Kinross, then you're familiar with the Double Tigers Initiative. If you haven't had a chance to listen, right yet, you're going to do that after this? I think you should. Then I'll give you a quick project rundown. In 2010, the Chinese Year of the Tiger, leaders from 13 countries with current or recent tiger populations came together to formulate a plan to double tiger numbers by the next Chinese Year of the Tiger in 2022. Lots of resources and support have gone into this initiative and tiger numbers have definitely increased, notably in Nepal, India, and Bhutan. While this initiative has been great for tiger numbers, it hasn't come for free. I absolutely love hearing tiger numbers are higher than they've been in decades, but it has created some unforeseen problems. I highly recommend listening to Jack share his point of view and come to your own conclusion about doubling tiger numbers. Next are wildlife corridors and protected areas. As mentioned previously, inbreeding is no bueno for population viability. To help with this, Wildlife corridors are being built between tiger habitats, allowing individuals to move out of their former territory and into new areas. This is very exciting and important for avoiding gene sinkholes and population collapse. New boyfriends and girlfriends are necessary for shaking up the gene pool. While we were in Nepal, we learned about the Terai Ark landscape, an ambitious conservation project between 2015 and 2025, Nepal is building a massive wildlife corridor that'll extend the length of Terai, which is around 900 kilometers, and connect the region's six protected areas all the way from Shaklavanta Wildlife Preserve in the west and beyond to Parsa Wildlife Reserve in the east. Many other endangered species are benefiting from this corridor, including rhinos, elephants, and water buffalo. Next, of course, is education. I've said this many times that education and women's rights will fix almost all of the world's issues and tiger conservation is no exception. I'll dive into women's rights in another episode and want to spend a few more moments now discussing education's role in all of this. We only protect what we understand. And to understand, we must first be exposed to why tigers are important for our well-being, as well as how to live with them. For communities living with seriously dangerous big cats, it's vitally important to understand their ecology, behaviors, and how to best avoid conflict with them, aka not to be attacked and killed. It's that serious. Jack Kenross's organization, Wild Tiger, distributes coexistence guidelines to students in villages surrounding Bardia National Park to teach children and their families how to safely visit forests. Next is community-based conservation. I freaking love community-based conservation. When done correctly, CBC is one of the strongest tools in the conservation tool belt. Just in case you're not familiar with this concept, CBC is led by local communities and is designed so that the maximum number of community members benefit by the sustainable use of their natural resources. 
Think of this approach as bottom-up conservation versus top-down. No one knows a landscape or wildlife better than the people that live with them, after all. I've seen few countries pull this off better than Nepal. In Chitwan, we saw the power of community-based conservation firsthand. The Bogmara Community Forest borders the buffer zone of Chitwan National Park and is managed on a volunteer basis by community members. They develop everything, forest conservation and regeneration, wildlife protection, ecotourism, education, and community development. Through their efforts, the land has been restored to its former glory and is home to a many endangered species, including rhinos, tigers, and garial. People have greatly benefited too, making Bogmara one of the most successful CBC programs in the country. To hear more, check out episode 24 and listen to my chat with the president of Bogmara, Jitu Tamang, and the president of the community-based anti-poaching unit, Bishnu Tapa. So what can you do to help? Great question. I am so glad you asked. There are so many ways that you can help tigers in the wild. First, travel. Traveling responsibly is one of the best ways to save tigers. When you travel, you are incentivizing local communities to keep their tigers alive and healthy. Travel has gotten significantly easier and cheaper in the last decade. I suggest booking round-trip tickets to India and or Nepal and visiting a couple top tiger national parks, including Ranthambore, Kana, Bardia, Chitwan, and I promise it'll change your life. Two, support incredible conservation organizations. Some of my favorites are Panthera, the World Wildlife Fund, and Wild Tiger in Nepal. Third, listen to Rewildology's Nepal Coexisting with Giants series. Sam Helly, Jack Kenross, and Dr. Babu Ram are tiger experts and openly share their knowledge about tiger conservation. The more you know, the better decisions you can make. Four, visit accredited animal facilities. If you search things to do near me and a wildlife facility pops up, take the time to see if they're accredited. And this goes for internationally and domestically. If you are in the US, as I already mentioned, look for an AZA accredited facility. Sanctuaries have a similar accrediting body called the Global Federation of Animal Sanctuaries. I highly recommend searching the whole website to see if the organization has either of these accreditations. If not, I strongly suggest not going. If they advertise cupheading or close interaction with big cats, I super strongly suggest not going, not ever going, never going, just don't even look at them, just don't, okay? Yeah, that's, that's what I gotta say about that. And of course, number five, be a smart consumer. As with most things in life, be a smart consumer. Take a couple of moments to double check if the product you are purchasing is detrimental to wildlife. We can ensure apex predators like tigers remain on this planet. After all, we need them to keep our ecosystems in balance, waterways clean, and other species in their habitat protected. What are we if we let one of the Earth's most magnificent creatures disappear? Do one small thing today that can help save tigers. Share this episode, talk to friends and family, donate to a great organization if you have the means, and volunteer in your free time. Together, we'll rewild the planet. 
Thank you so much for listening to this special episode of Rewildology. To learn more about tigers, check out the resource list that I've provided at rewildology.com. Close to 30 peer-reviewed papers and reputable resources were used to make this episode in addition to all of my years and personal experiences. Keep it wild, my friends. Until the next episode.